the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, June the 22nd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today, on June 22nd, 1970, President Richard Nixon signed an extension of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that lowered the minimum voting age to 18. Today, in 1611, English explorer Henry Hudson, he, his son, and several other people who were on his side were set adrift in what we know today as President uh, Hudson Bay. Mutiny on the discovery. They didn't like their captain, so they got rid of him, set him, set him out adrift. He, I don't, they didn't die. They were later rescued by someone else. Today in 1772, slavery was outlawed in England. Today in 1870, the, the United States Department of Justice was created. Today in 1933, Hitler banned political parties in Germany, except for the Nazi party. Today in 1940, during World War II, Adolf Hitler gained a stunning victory as France was forced to sign an armistice eight days after German forces overran Paris. And today in 1941, exactly one year later, Nazi Germany launched Operation Barbosa. That was a massive invasion of the Soviet Union. And today in 1942, a Japanese submarine shelled Fort Stevens at the mouth of the Columbia River. One of the few times that America has been attacked by a foreign enemy on our soil. Today in 1944, uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt signed the Servicemen's Readjustment Act of 1944. We know it as the GI Bill of Rights. Today in 1945, the World War II battle at Okinawa, that ended with an Allied victory. And today in 1992, the U.S. Supreme Court in RAV versus City of St. Paul unanimously ruled that hate crime laws that banned cross-burning and similar expressions of racial bias violated free speech acts. Well, that's this kind of was indicative of what was to come in America. An interesting study that was put out by Wallet Hub. They're a financial organization. Um, I think they do this every year, but they put it out yesterday. Uh, it's not perfect. There's, you know, there's no, there, there's no survey or poll it's perfect but i found it interesting just wanted to take a minute to share it with you this wallet hub they released it yesterday they they found obviously that red states are more patriotic than blue states i would have guessed that i'm sure you would have as well but which which state of the united states do you think would be the most patriotic and this is based on their criteria and i'll tell i'll tell you what it is but think about what what state do you think it would be you would kind of think maybe it wouldn't be Washington or Oregon or California. Wallet Hood looked at 13 key indicators of patriotism. That included 
not all of them, but it included the state's military enlistees, veterans, to the share of adults who voted in the 2020 presidential election, uh, AmeriCorps, volunteerism, all these kinds of things. Military engagement was uh, one. And they allotted points. They, t- they took like the perfect state would be 100 points, a perfect score. So the financial uh, site allotted 25 points to the military engagement category, were included military enlistees, veterans, subcategories, and all that. 75 points to the civic engagement category, meaning they were doing good stuff, you know, volunteerism in the community. Jury participation was one of them. Civic education requirements, I'm not sure what that is. But anyway, that those that's the way they broke this out. And according to that methodology, Wallet Hub concluded that Montana was the most patriotic state in the United States. They had a score of 61.91 on that 100, 100 scale. It also ranked number one in civic engagement, but it was number 22 in military engagement. Alaska ranked second overall, second most patriotic state in the United States with a score of 56.64. It ranked number one in military. There's there's a lot of military in Alaska, as you well know, I'm sure. But it ranked number one in military engagement and number 19 in civic engagement. But overall, it was number ranked number two in the United States. New York had the fewest in military and the fewest in most categories. Rounding out the top 10 patriotic states in the United States, Maryland, Vermont, New Hampshire. That surprised me a lot. It's a very liberal state. Probably a lot of um, not so much military, maybe other kinds of, um, you know, volunteerism, one thing or another. But anyway, um, Maryland, Vermont, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Wyoming, Minnesota, and Oregon, and Virginia. Based on its selection of data, WalletHub determined that California, Michigan, Connecticut, Florida, and New York were the least patriotic. Interesting. Well, I just thought you might want to know that, whatever it's worth. We um, patriotism is under attack. So is so is Christianity, and so is just general common sense, good living. America was kind of founded on the basis of a, um, a Christian consensus. Francis Schaeffer coined that word. He started using it first a generation ago in some of his writings. And it's true, and it's an accurate description of the, the kind of the environment in which America was birthed. America was birthed for a, a lot of reasons. I mean, there was the economic part of it, for sure, but it was birthed on the idea that we needed and wanted and deserved under God religious freedom. And so from that that birthing of this great nation, it, there was this Christian consensus. And not everybody said, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, praise the Lord. But everybody said, I mean, when they referred to the Bible, they would, if they weren't a Christian, they might say, well, the good book or whatever. I mean, there was this acceptance that there was a God, even if I'm not serving him, and I, I know I should be living better and all of that kind of thing. But there was this this context of accepting of, well, well, the Bible, the good book says that, you know, I should be you know nice to my parents or whatever. That has been attacked 
from then to now to the degree that we've lost a lot of that in America. And it was on that basis, in fact, our founding fathers said, a couple of them did, in particular, John Adams in particular, said that this, this, our Constitution was created only for a moral and, a, and an upright or a righteous people. In other words, people who had this Christian consensus, this context of right and wrong. And our Constitution, he said, would be ripped apart like a whale through a net if America became any other than that kind of a nation. And that, that is the tension that we're seeing in our country today, regardless of what, it, what the issue is. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's burning a flag or indoctrinating a fifth grader or a first grader or a kindergarten kid, five years old. That is where we are. and That's the tension that we feel in our country today and in our culture. So for that reason, I want to talk a little bit more. I'm not a Catholic, but I'm not talking about the Catholic Church so much, except in the context of what's going on in the Catholic Church as it involves our President of the United States and the Speaker of the House, who is very high up on the line of cessation should the President and Vice President be not available for to serve in their office or the vice president not for whatever reason uh, not be able to be so the speaker of the house is is a big deal and nancy pelosi and joe biden are constantly standing on the street corner much like the pharisees of jesus day and they're telling the world how righteous they are and how devout they are in their catholicism all of a sudden they've hit the wall because the, the catholic church is saying oh wait a minute Wait a minute. I mean, there are people in the Catholic Church that have enough courage to stand up, and there are bishops that are standing up. And I talked about this yesterday. And I want to come back to that and touch on it today because this, this is a this is a monumental issue, in the sense that it has to do with much more than the Catholic Church. It has to do with the Protestant Church, and it has to do with the Kingdom of God in general. And that's why I want to talk a little bit more about it today. Yesterday, I noted that President Biden has become the focus of this great concern in his church, his Catholic church, because he talks about it all the time. He goes to Mass regularly. He does the things that a good Catholic would do. He appears to be a good Catholic, but he doesn't believe what the church believes. I don't know how that works. I mean, internally, in your own mind, maybe it doesn't work in the president. I don't know. He's struggling. It was, it was concerning and embarrassing to see the video clips that had not been edited by ABC, NBC, and CBS of the president in his most recent trip to those the summit and the G7 and all that. I mean, it was, it, it was brutal to watch. He would forget what he was talking about while these world leaders sat there with a straight face, knowing full well that this man, he doesn't need to be leading the most powerful nation on the earth because of his cognitive failures. I mean, he just simply can't communicate. I guess we all get to that point at some place, somewhere along the line in our lives. And, you know, and many of us get there and we're not running for president or we're not the president. So it isn't as important, but this is very important because if that is his you know, level Boy, I, I mean, it's concerning. And I don't say that politically at all. I, I mean, I didn't vote for him. Obviously, I wouldn't vote for him. But aside from that, he's a human being. And 
I don't, you know, I don't know, man. I hope somebody's keeping an eye on him, but that's concerning as well. But anyway, he, I don't know what his process is, but he, he, he wants to be a devout Catholic and claims that he is. And yet everything he does, I mean, his policies and his beliefs are contrary for the most part to what his church believes and what he says he is a part of. And that's where this conflict is. And as I said, this is a greater conflict because this has to do with the culture as well. I mean, put aside the Catholic Church for a moment. So let's look at it through the lens of what's happening in the Catholic Church, but also through the lens of what happens to a nation when we forsake God, when we forget God. Patrick Henry said, when a nation forgets God or when a person forgets God, tyrants forge their chains. He was right. He didn't forget God. He was a homeschooled genius and probably one of, if not the best speaker that ever served in our political system here in America. He was a true patriot. He's the guy that says, give me liberty or give me death. I think he meant that. But he also said, if we forget God, tyrants will forge our chains. So we don't want our chains to get forged, but this is not maybe a tyrant, but it is so deceptive of what's happening in the context of Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and their Catholic Church. Apparently, though, he doesn't see the contradiction, or he just is ignoring it. I don't know. But his church sees it, and it's become a major issue. As I said, the U.S. bishops have now voted to continue drafting this document for the church that provides guidelines for the reception of communion in the church. But now at least one member of Congress, I talked about that letter that was sent urging the, the bishops basically to back off and don't do this, 60 Catholics from Congress. Well, <laughs> this guy was probably on the list, but now a member of Congress is calling for retribution by rebuking and revoking the tax-exempt status of the Catholic Church. Boy, that gets your attention, and if not, it should. Could this actually happen in America? I mean, Hitler did that. It's done in China regularly, but here? And why would this guy say this? He said it yesterday. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Representative Jared Huffman, he's a Democrat from California, he's now lashing out at the bishops because they're going ahead with a document that will give leadership to the Catholic Church on how to deal with people, particularly high-visibility people who are saying they're devout Catholics, like the President of the United States, and yet they are the biggest banner carrier for abortion in this case, and that's the main issue in this. So Jared Huffman, representative, Democrat from California, he really took on the bishops. He suggested, I'm quoting him, if they are going to weaponize religion by rebuking Democrats who support women's reproductive choice, then a rebuke of their tax-exempt status may be in order. That's a congressman of the United States. The Catholic Church? <laughs> I mean, if, if they would rebuke, rebuke and revoke the Catholic Church's tax exemption, they would go after anybody. 
I mentioned yesterday there's an overwhelming majority of these bishops, 168 of them voted to continue drafting the document. Only 55 opposed it. There's a consensus among them, a very strong consensus. But threatening to use the government to decertify tax-exempt status of a church with which you disagree, shouldn't that only be happening elsewhere, not here? Well, it has been until now. The 60 House Democrats that wrote that letter, they said, we solemnly urge the church to not move forward and deny the most holy of all sacraments, the source and the summit of the whole work of the gospel over one issue. They are passionate about this. They want the church to shut up and not take a stand on what the church is supposed to believe and say they believe. And it's in their most basic uh, doctrines about abortion, the sanctity of life. That's one point where we Protestants and Catholics come together, hopefully, on the sanctity of life, for goodness sakes. We don't. I mean, there's Catholics who are pro-abortion, for sure, and there are Protestants who are... How they get to this point, I don't know. But they're pro-people that are pro-abortion, and they somehow excuse themselves. They vote for Hillary Clinton and praise the Lord because... They're not like those conservatives that voted for Trump or whatever. So, I mean, we have that dynamic going on, but generally, generally, biblical Christians are pro-life because it's awfully hard to justify and to sync up God's word with a pro-abortion personal philosophy. I, I don't know how it's done, but it is. It must be done in confusion, deception, and darkness. It's called hypocrisy to those who know better. Sometimes it's called heresy. This letter that these 60 House Democrats wrote said, we recognize that no party is perfectly in accord, they're talking about political party, with all aspects of church doctrine. This fact speaks to the secular nature of American democracy, not the devotion of our democratically elected leaders. What they're saying here is that we have to have, we have to live two lives as politicians. What they're saying, Joe Biden went into great depth on this, and I don't have time this morning to, to go into it, but I remember it well because I, I studied it and made a mental note of it and kind of checked it in the back of my mind. When he got called on abortion, I think it was the first or second time he ran for president, the first time he pulled out because they caught him plagiarizing, the second time was, maybe the second time was plagiarizing, but it was during that period, it's been a number of years ago, they said, how can you be, after he had become pro-abortion, I guess there was a time when he wasn't, but his political uh, ambitions overcame him. But they asked him, the press asked him, and he was of pretty good cognitive skills then, and, and he, he, he addressed it pretty articulately. And he said, look, he said, personally, he said, I'm pro-life. But he said, professionally, I have to be, because he said the country is majority pro-abortion, so I have to be pro-abortion because I'm a public servant. That was the essence of what he said, and that's how he rectified. He said, I'm two people. I'm this Joe Biden in my personal life, and I'm this Joe Biden in my professional life. And yet you have to remember that God's word says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And that would apply to a woman as well, Nancy. So here's what we have that's playing out. In America, and maybe some good can come out of this. I mean, only God could bring good out of this, but 
He certainly can and does. The letter said we recognize that no party is perfectly in accord with all aspects of church doctrine. So they recognize there's a difference, but the answer to it is that let us live our personal lives, and we promise you we'll believe the church in our personal lives, but in our professional lives, we can't do that because it isn't politically um, acceptable in America because America, the majority of Americans are pro-abortion or pro-choice, as they say. And that's changing. So that's really at the heart of this, and that's what these guys are saying, these these 60 congressmen that signed that letter to their church. It continued. It said, we believe in the separation of church and state. It allows our faith to inform our public duties and best serve our constituents. The sacrament of Holy Communion is central to the life of the practicing Catholic. So they are, again, separating the 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 reality and they're saying no as a as a personal uh life that i live my own life outside of politics i i'm okay with this and i i deserve to take holy communion in the church and that to do otherwise the church is weaponizing the eucharist is what they're saying and they're trying to make the strongest case possible so you know you look at that and you think how that you know, sort of seeps down into every part of our culture. The bishops, the Catholics who support withholding communion from pro-abortion Catholic politicians, they they are saying, but the church's code of canon law states that those who are obstinately persevering in manifest grave sin are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. And they have said recently, in the last few days, some, some of these bishops, I can't remember which one, I think it's the one from Kansas, Kansas City. He said, we're not talking about someone who in weakness failed and sinned. He said, we're talking about someone, talking about the president, who has a mindset to consistently persevere in their sin, advocating for the killing of unwanted unborn children. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But it reflects, as I said again, it reflects what's happening in our culture. Put aside the Catholic, Protestant, whatever. That is where our culture is today. We want it all. We want to be religious. We want to be seen. That's why virtue signaling has become such a way of life. People are on Facebook and Instagram and and Twitter and all these things. I mean, essentially saying in one way or another how righteous and good that I am. And that's what social media is about. That's the attraction, really, for the most part. I mean, I know there's some some good to that, but it also shows a a degree of of self-centeredness that just wasn't visible before. It may have existed, but there wasn't a platform for it. But now you can see it. But there's... Everybody's virtue signaling. They're rushing to these to march in a black parade because I'm a good person. And if you ask them, why are you doing this? Well, I don't know. Because it's the right thing. I want to be a part. I I'm not a racist. That's all of this is connected. And that's what's happening within the Catholic Church, and it's what's happening in our country today. But when a congressman comes out and says, perhaps we should reject or revoke, have the IRS revoke the Catholic Church's nonprofit status, 
I know if you called him on it, and the press, of course, did not. But if they did, he was, oh, I was just joking. But why is that thought even in his mind? I mean, is there conversation about that in the halls of power in Washington, D.C.? I'm not talking about the Catholic Church. I'm just talking about your church, if they don't say the right thing. I'm talking about all of us. The IRS rejection pretty much told the story. Here's what the IRS said to this group of people who had filed for a nonprofit status. They're called Christians Engaged. And this guy, this Jared guy, he was familiar with this, and he didn't reference it, but he was aware of it because he quoted some of what the IRS had said in their rejection of this Christian organization. They applied for a Christian nonprofit 501c3 um, uh, status. They have in there, they said they their threefold emphasis is, number one, pray for, this was in their application to the IRS. They said, our, our emphasis is, one, pray for our nation and elected officials regularly, vote in every election to impact our culture, engage our hearts in some form of political education or activism for the furtherance of our nation. The IRS rejected them and said, no, we will not give you status, 501c3 status. And here's why they said they did that. Specifically, you educate Christians on what the Bible says in areas where they can be instrumental, including the areas of sanctity of life, the definition of marriage, biblical justice, freedom of speech, defense, and borders and immigration, U.S. and Israeli relations. The Bible teachings, I'm quoting the IRS in their rejection of this group just recently, the Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party and candidates. This disqualifies you from exemption under, under IRC Section 501c3. Now, that ruling is being appealed. First Liberty Institute is one of several Christian organizations, law organizations, that are representing these people. I think that'll be reversed because, uh, boy, you talk about, I mean, I quoted verbatim what the IRS said in rejecting this group. If that is the idea and the thinking out there among some of the people in the deep state or in the bureaucracy of our government, and it is, then this, that's why this Jared, I mean, just off the top of his head, he said, well, we'll revoke the Catholic Church. I mean, if that thinking is is weaving its way into the fabric of the thinking of our government, I think it should get the attention of all of us, not just the Catholics. The episode will go on because it pits a president against a church, and we're not going to keep talking about it every day, but the president and his cohorts are demanding that the church change, not the culture change. Their beliefs are fixed, so they want to adapt the church to the culture. President Biden reflects a view that's too common in American Christianity, one that holds that Christianity and all religions are subjective and relative. The culture is demanding the Christian church in general put aside those beliefs that are in conflict with the cultural norm of the moment. And that's where we are today. And that has to do not only with abortion, but the LGBTQ extremism. They're asking and demanding the same thing. And Biden is riding in their bus as well. That is the pressure that's coming on the church, and that's the same thing that happened to the Christian church in Germany as Hitler rose to power.
Thank you for being with me today. I'm out of time. I have more to say, but we're out of time, and we will stop here. We will continue talking about what's happening in our world from a biblical perspective right here tomorrow. Thank you for your support. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.